Okay, so tonight, my title is Hospitality as Christian Witness. I've spoken on this a few times under different titles. Uh, hospitality is a hot word nowadays, but I believe it's really misunderstood. Uh, it's often commodified. Um, so let me begin by saying what I don't mean, very briefly. Uh, true hospitality is not just merely hosting people in your house, like Martha Stewart. It's lovely to have something very beautiful cake that took eight hours, but that is not the basis of true hospitality. It's lovely, but that's more like hosting. True hospitality is not related to the hotel industry. Uh, if you type in hospitality in Google and go to images, as I have done, uh, it's just hotels, just lots of concierges and people staying behind desks. That is not true hospitality, or at least that's not the hospitality I'm talking about. Tonight, and true hospitality is not some technique by which we make people feel comfortable or um, uh, a demonstration of kindness or niceness. That's could be a part of it, but that is not the basis of true hospitality. Hospitality is much more profound for the Christian. <clears throat> and this is how I want to define it, is, or in a way. Hospitality for the Christian is the natural outflowing expression of what it means to be in Christ towards other in our person and from our homes and out in the public sphere. Let me say that a little bit um, one more time. <clears throat> hospitality for the Christian is the natural outflowing expression of what it means to be in Christ toward others in our person and from our homes and out in the public sphere. This talk is really going to focus on how Labrie understands uh, the nature of Christian hospitality and how that hospitality declares the gospel, not only in truth, um, but also in love. Uh, while I'll be specifically describing how Labrie understands its own hospitality, I do hope that it extends in a fruitful way into your thinking of how others, uh, how you might root your own hospitality and how you might become hospitable. If you hear lots of talks on hospitality, even within Labrie, you'll get lots of stories and what life at Labrie is like. And I am not doing that. Uh, you know, I, I could go into Old Testament stories where there are acts of hospitality. I'm not going to do that. I am the more philosophical type. I apologize beforehand for that, but some people really like the philosophical side. <laughs> um, so I hope that I can make it manageable enough and enjoyable enough for us to, to handle that uh, and really a theological idea of how to think about hospitality as Christian witness. So to begin, I want to, uh, I want to look at two bases for Christian hospitality, true truth and true spirituality, um, which are set under God as creator and redeemer, and then uh, talk about some applications, okay? It's a, that's the only form or the only outline I'm going to give you, okay? Uh, so, so this is where I'm going to start. 
the two bases for Christian, um, Christian hospitality and where I want to start is with Jesus' words from the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew 5, verses 43 through 48, um, I want to begin here because it speaks of the true critical aspects of God as creator and as redeemer. Okay, so let me read what Jesus was telling the crowds okay, and to uh, his disciples. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good, and sends rains on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your Heavenly Father is perfect. So God's hospitality, the loving care and welcome he shows to all people, is the basis and the source of the hospitality the Christian is to show others. When Jesus speaks of loving even one's enemies, he points to the Father's hospitality shown both to the wicked and the righteous. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. So this is the care the Creator shows. He does not coerce belief in himself to provide all that his creatures need. Perfect love is exemplified through the Father's hospitable care for all that he has created, to those who bear his image, whether they love him or not. And then this is deepened further in the hospitality that we find in the cross of Christ. God graciously welcomes all those who would come to him through Jesus Christ. In this way, Jesus demonstrates that which he called the disciples and the Jewish audience to do, to show the perfect, loving hospitality of the Creator. This he does on the cross, redeeming the whole of creation and reconciling us to himself while we are yet enemies. So it's not surprising then to see hospitality as an important to the witness of God's own hospitality in the early church. We see this in several letters to, sent to the early churches, early communities. <coughs> Practice hospitality, Paul says in Romans. Offer hospitality without grumbling, Peter says. Don't forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by so doing, some people have entertained angels without knowing it. Remember those in prison as if you were fellow prisoners and those who are mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering, the author of Hebrews. The Christian was to remember two things. One, that every person, no matter their conviction or circumstance, bears the image of God. And two, that all come the same way, equally, having fallen short of the glory of God, or the perfection of God, through God's abundant forgiveness through Christ. Therefore, by showing hospitality to others, the Christian would display the love that one has received themselves from God in creation and in redemption. So if we receive something from God, his creative care, we receive from God his redemptive care, then we are to go out in the same way to show that creative um, uh, and redemptive care. <clears throat> Considering the weight that Scripture holds for hospitality, it's pretty sad to see so little of its demonstration by Christians today. 
we are in a time and place that desperately needs a witness to the transforming power of the gospel. So many in culture are achingly lonely without a place to turn to, alienated between the rock of philosophical materialism and the hard place of the church's institutionalism. So I want to talk about those two things. The hard place, uh, the, the rock of philosophical materialism and the hard place of the church's institutionalism as two places that are not giving place for hospitable um, living. So in spite of the attempts of tolerance to give social cohesion to our fragmented society, people feel all the more lost within the faceless power plays of our mechanistic culture. This is because individualistic relativism, which arises out of our particular type of materialism, hinges a person's self-creating identity upon what one looks like, thinks, does, or has. There's no transcendent reference point beyond the material, and therefore one's dependent on what you're working with. Okay. But this causes a person to be at constant risk with the other. Each person is to be ignored, avoided, used, competed against, compared to, assimilated, destroyed, all these options. The other is a threat to my own self, capital S self, since self-determination is what stands at the center of reality. What is lost then is true hospitality, a loving embrace of the other as a fellow human being, since there is nothing larger to hold one another in that difference. Perhaps this is one of the reasons for the popularity and the success of social utility sites. Even the word social utility gives me the heebie-jeebies. Okay. It allows individualistic displays of opinions and presentations without the, nice, nasty, without the nasty side effects of real disagreement in the midst of a shared life. There in the world of Facebook, a person is at complete control to hide another friend's post, quote-unquote, delete unwanted comments or tags, and secretly delete a friend altogether. I don't know if you've ever secretly deleted a friend. <laughs> I have. <laughs> the internet is a perfect environment for any quote-unquote success of tolerance because it removes us as embodied beings with warts and all. Such rampant relativistic individualism also exacerbates the way we function as consumers. We shop side by side as strangers looking for products to give us ever-changing identities and new loyalties. This individualism has even shaped our domiciles, our homes, as highly protected private spheres, safe from the busy pace of life and in seclusion from unwanted or unknown guests. I know many people who live in gated communities. Um, that's, I grew up in that. What has happened is that we have been duped into a simulacrum, an appearance of social cohesion. Yet in experience, people have become all the more desperate to try to understand why they feel so alone and unknown in a world that seems to give them every option to discover themselves and find belonging. The churches have sadly not proven a refuge to people either. It is true that historically churches have established helpful institutions such as hospitals, um, hostels, and homeless shelters to welcome people, and that they continue to prog um, create programs to those in need. Unfortunately, they continue to create. Um, unfortunately, history also shows that such initiatives, while very good, have led many Christians to be removed from the personal responsibility we are all meant to have in showing 
hospitality to others. Let me give you an example. Christine Pohl's wonderful book, Making Room. If you want a book, it's really, really good book on hospitality. Christine Pohl's book, Making Room, Recovering Hospitality as a Christian Tradition. She shows how this um, has unfolded from the church creating programs of hospitality and that removes the personal responsibility. In the fourth century, when Constantine began to show support for the Christian church, Christians like Basel of Caesarea were able to establish a variety of institutions to provide care for the sick, for travelers, and for the poor. It was a really good time for society. Yet, with the increase of public institutions, so came the decrease of personal hospitality. Just a few years later, John Chrysostom was begging Christians to continue to make a place for Christ in their homes, to make a room for those in, uh, in need of care. The gap between the Christian and the institution was only exacerbated throughout the Middle Ages, where um, hospitality became an increasingly show of prominence by bishops and decreasingly an obligation by laypersons. The attempt to recover this lost practice of hospitality during the Reformation uh, and among some uh, later Protestants like Wesley and his love feasts helped some but was ultimately hindered by the individualism the Re Reformation encouraged and the Enlightenment heralded. Um, so this gap still persists today between personal responsibility and church's institutionalism. People keep looking for the programs to take care of the people rather than looking at themselves as the people who need to take care of people. We have become less involved in the calling of what it means for us, if you call yourself a Christian, to be the church. We've become accustomed to a less risky and less costly gospel, which is really no gospel at all. With churches organizing themselves around the success of their own structures and not around the living expression of the gospel, uh, what I mean is that sometimes churches worry more about budget than they worry about what do we need to do with our neighbor. That can happen. Uh, these churches have lost the demonstrative power of God in their midst. It will not be until the transforming power of God is demonstrated in each of us as a people gathered in Christ that true hospitality may begin to be shown. Um, because hospitality is not just what we do. It's not a technique. It's a gospel we embody. So it's how we welcome the other in our own body, personally and corporately, publicly and privately. So I want to talk about these, how, these, how this biblical basis for Christianity um, is expressed in Labrie. Uh, so, so I'm going to be talking about true truth and true spirituality here. Those are concepts that you may not be familiar with. Hopefully, as I'm talking, it will make sense to you. So how does Labrie express hospitality working from the two bases of God as creator and redeemer? Or better, how might we then recover this calling to be truly hospitable in sharing what God graciously gives us as his human creatures and as a redeemed people? Um, at Labrie, we often reflect on two fundamental expressions to the loving welcome we extend to those who come into our home. These two expressions are true truth and true spirituality. Those are two phrases coined by Francis Schaeffer. Uh, he was one of the founders of Labrie. So one, truth is that which we gather around and engage in discussions, seeking out what is true in reality. 
So truth, as Labrie means it, is not a construct of privatized belief, but the way we see whole of life and that we are included in it, and that which confront, um, that confronts our constructs, uh, proving them to be illusory or real. Uh, I'll speak about that more in a minute. And then true spirituality, which we'll figure out as the bulk of the lecture, is acting at each moment upon the truth of whom God made us to be, which can only be anchored in Jesus Christ and filled out by the power of the Holy Spirit. So true spirituality leads us to be fully human in right relationship within this created universe. So if you want to replace true spirituality as right relationship, go ahead. Um, okay. So both of these two expressions, true truth and true spirituality, are present in the hospitality of Labrie in order for those alienated by culture to understand in mind and in body the wholeness given to us in the gospel of Christ. Okay. Labrie was, uh, well, has been organized around these two expressions since 1955 when Francis and Edith Schaefer began the work in Switzerland. They welcomed anyone to come ask honest questions, and they would respond by giving honest answers. That's how they spoke about it. It didn't matter if the person was Christian or not. Uh, those interested who could come for a day, they could come for months to, to study, they could help with the upkeep as they sought and wrestled with the truth claims of biblical Christianity. Some have thought that this was simply a rationalistic approach. Some people have, um, have claimed that we were think tanks. And maybe this lecture is not helping <laughs> argue against that. Um, but it's to misunderstand the whole nature of the hospitality of Labrie. Okay? This is not the only moment in Labrie. This is, only, this, uh, this is but one moment in the life of Labrie. From the very beginning, the Schaefers looked to God to provide at every point in the work and at every point in their own lives. They had to, since they were welcoming people into their family life and into their home, and often at great personal cost. Today at Canadian Libri and all the branches worldwide, we continue to live with the same inbuilt vulnerability in order that God might demonstrate himself in that what we say and how we live and how we are sustained. So we pray for God to provide us with income, to provide us with a home, provide us with electricity, with food, with guests, and on and on. Uh, and in order that those who come into our midst may know the transforming love of God expressed in the lives of Christian fellowship. Uh, you know, the Schaefers were very bent on making sure that they wanted to have no artificial constructs or constructs that led people to think, oh, this is being done in your own power. They wanted to make sure that someone could come into Labrie and over time say, wow, this would not exist had God not done something. <clears throat> so let me start with true truth as one foundation for true hospitality. Uh, because truth is what constitutes identity and vision. Uh, it constitutes the identity and vision of those who are showing hospitality. Uh, truth, that's, you know, some people would think truth does not make sense as a part of hospitality. That, that seems to be a different avenue. When we think of hospitality, we think of just welcoming people around a table to eat. Uh, 
but truth is what constitutes who you are and what and why you are together uh, if you are just anything then you become nothing so uh, truth is what constitutes you as an identity and, and, and as a vision truth is what gives cohesion to the parts truth we believe um, is the interrelated contours of reality and our place within it and what one believes about reality is either true or false um, one can be misunderstanding or make a mistake or be ignorant um, they could also be right so our identity and vision at Libri is tethered to and constituted by the Christian scriptures and the fulfillment of its promises in history, past, present, and future. However, the biblical narrative does not merely relate to religious, quote-unquote, things. Rather, this narrative, and therefore um, this, this narrative is all-encompassing, all areas of life. So at Libri, we love to discuss art, philosophy, relationships, Miley Cyrus, I've mentioned a few times, politics, economics, environment, and so on. So we don't believe that Christianity is simply adhering to a body of religious beliefs or dogma, but holding to what's true of reality. And if these truth claims speak to um, and about reality, then we desire to wrestle with the implications of what we say. So it's important of how we use our words uh, and in our relationships. <coughs> And at the same time, and this is important, we welcome anyone to question true truth and to seek the foundations upon which that person disagrees. So why do you disagree? What might be put in its place? Is our understanding faulty for this or for that reason? Why do such beliefs, if taken seriously, if, if, if you think the world is meaningless, what kind of conclusion, what, how will that lead you to act out in life? And can you act out consistently? So at Libri, we believe that ideas, those things that we believe about reality, whatever your conviction, has consequences. What you believe about reality should affect how you function in reality. And so one is free to disagree and to voice their conviction at our tables. But once they do so, we ask them to allow their truth claim to be measured, to be tested. Um, and sometimes uh, it's quite, you know, I'll break from my script for a second to tell you a little story <laughs> that will really get you excited. Uh, but there was this one student, and you may have heard this story before, but there was this one student, and she kept saying in the midst of a discussion, why can't we just love each other? Why can't we just get along? Why do we have to disagree? And she kept saying this, and it became her mantra. And so every lunch discussion, you knew she was going to chime in with saying, why can't we just all get along and just love each other? Well, God sent her a little gift. And I won't tell you his name, but there was a man that came. And uh, he was one of the most offensive people I have met. Uh, and uh, during tea time, he would like to fart in her direction. Uh, he was quite crass. Uh, he was... He would go around asking very inappropriate questions to lots of people. <laughs> uh, and she would lose it. And I sometimes will do conflict resolution within the community. Uh, I had to do conflict resolution with these two people 
three times. I had to sit them down <laughs> to help them understand one another. And she couldn't believe that we would welcome him. But I was trying to remind her that she had said only previously we should just all get along <laughs> and love each other. Uh, so <laughs> ideas have consequences and can we live consistently? Uh, but we welcome both. Some people are more challenging than others. That's true. But, uh, <clears throat> but ideas do have consequences. And so as people express their ideas, they can pontificate in a public forum. But when you're living side by side, days in and days out, and you're sharing the bathroom together, and you're sharing uh, meals together, you start finding out what people are really made of. Okay? And that's, that's quite lovely. That's one of uh, the treats that I think that we have at Labrie. So, so what you say and what you believe actually affects hospitality, how you give it and how you receive it. So, as we at Labrie hold to the truth given to us through the Christian scriptures, and as we hold out welcome to those who disagree, who may seek out their own foundations upon which they disagree, we desire to pursue without coercion what is true of life. Um, so we welcome all of you here to pursue truth within our own particular context. Okay, true spirituality. This is the bulk. And... Um, <clears throat> So this second fundamental expression of hospitality, true spirituality, um, can never be seen as separate from the pursuit of truth. At Labrie, we believe that if ideas of truth have any real weight in the world, they will um, be a demonstration of the moral character of the Creator. We believe if our ideas are really true of what we're saying about scriptures, then God will demonstrate His moral character through His people. Uh, that's true spirituality, and that that God will um, will relate to His creation through His people. And we believe that, or Schaefer would say boldly, that Labrie was a demonstration of God's existence. Uh, what he meant was not saying, "Okay, God's going to open up the clouds and we're going to see a light shine down." Uh, but rather that a person would experience the character and the reality um, of God in amongst the midst of people who were dependent on God. He, he, he felt quite trusting that God would demonstrate himself through his people if they honestly sought him, uh, if the people who were showing hospitality honestly sought him, meaning us in Labrie. Uh, this will reveal those who live in harmony with how God made us to be in creation as artists, as business owners, as politicians, musicians, chefs, just as people. These truthful ideas must be demonstrated then if they are to be believed, not in some little Christian bubble um, or some Christian subculture, but before in the midst of all people, even enemies. The Christian must live before others in such a way that begs questions for reasons. Uh, Peter, one of Jesus' disciples, wrote in a letter he sent to the early Christian churches, that we should be prepared to give a reason for the hope we have to those who ask. That's, you know, people often talk about that we need to have a reason for the hope, uh, but often we forget that we need to be persuasive enough that people will want to ask us for our reasons. Mm -hmm. um, we must ask ourselves, are people being persuaded by the content of our lives to ask? It is not just in what we claim, but with what integrity we live into those claims. 
not just in part, but in the whole. Truthful ideas must have such demonstrative power and such beauty that people desire to be in the midst of Christians and inquire. So um, I'm speaking specifically to Christians here. In the ordinariness of the home, in one's daily life, and in the public sphere, people should see the power of God's Spirit at work in the lives of His people. This is evidenced in the truthfulness with which one speaks to others, and about one's own self, in the integrity with which one lives, and in the beauty with which one shows forth. I mentioned beauty, which is sadly missing, not only in the world, uh, but also in many Christian places, like the church. The churches are often some of the ugliest buildings. There are some reasons for that, because you can't build new buildings. You can't build new churches, and, and they're too unaffordable, at least in Western Canada. Maybe in Memphis, Tennessee, you can do that. But, <clears throat> um, but, uh, but God's Spirit brought beauty out of creation. And, you know, when, when God created the world and brought forth light and darkness and this, this creation account, it's really creating the conditions of hospitality and creating the conditions of beauty as a part of hospitality. And so beauty should be evidenced in the life of a Christian, not only in their character, but also in their aesthetics. Um, Edith Schaefer was keen on this point, and that's why arts and beauty, even in the simplest of things, have always played an important role in Libri. Uh, Liz is very good at making a beautiful table. <clears throat> Julie and I, Julie and I are, we try to be beautiful utilitarians. <laughs> so we just put a candle on the table and serve our food. Uh, Liz is really good at laying this elegant tablecloth and decorations of snowflakes. And uh, we just have kids yelling and throwing paper balls at people. <laughs> it's a different type of beauty, I guess. <laughs> so this is why hospitality was so important for the early church. Uh, for people to see the claims of the gospel lived out in a real, substantial way. And it's why hospitality should attend any message of the gospel. It is the giving of our lives, our whole selves, to demonstrate the redeeming power of God, uh, never in our own strength, but only in the strength and mercy of God. Um, so it's not a technique it's, um, or a play, but it's a way of being. Hospitality is a way of being, and that's why this talk is quite philosophical. Um, but it's a way of being that's not in our own power, but in God's power. So true spirituality is a constant act of vulnerability. Looking to God as creator and redeemer to provide all we need so that his gospel may be proclaimed through us in his way, in God's way. Francis Schaeffer said that Labrie and any Christian organization must pursue the Lord's work in the Lord's way. He added that the most dangerous thing in the world is not the ideas that press against or antagonize the Christian church, but the Christian church trying to establish the kingdom of God in the power of the flesh and not in the power of God's spirit. So he said the most dangerous thing is that the church is trying to establish its, um, its, the kingdom of God through its power and not through God's power. The gospel must never and may never be separate from the evidence of God's transformation in our lives. But this can never be done in our own power, as I've said. We can't conjure up or transform ourselves, no matter how many rules or spiritual practices we establish. 
Instead, it is abiding in God's work in his way, which is accomplished in himself. So it's just constant dependence, an inbuilt vulnerability on God at all points. To seek God's ways and not our ways takes different personal and organizational expressions. Um, but here at Libri, we look to our Creator through prayer to provide us with sufficient finances to pay our bills, um, to have guests, volunteers, workers to fill our homes. Um, let me be clear that uh, we don't expect everyone to live as we do. Uh, we're not proclaiming something super spiritual. We don't think Libri is something super spiritual. We do not see ourselves as superior. Uh, nevertheless, by constantly looking to God to provide, no matter how much or how little we have, we have come to see our homes, our own time, our possessions, and even our lives as gifts we have received from God. So we, um, and because of that, we are then free to extend the gifts we have freely received. If my life is a gift, if my home is a gift, if my money is a gift, then I'm able to freely offer it because it is a gift to me. This doesn't mean that we don't care about things. It means that we try to steward all things for the delight and for goodness and for ourselves and for others. So in short, our hospitality is um, grows out of God's hospitality. Um, this breaks down the idea that we're hosts providing a service. Uh, instead, you know, it's like this one student that came and she was really upset the second day. She really loved the first day and the second day she was really upset because um, she didn't have a, a, a chocolate on her pillow the second day or the third day. <laughs> so sometimes people think that they're receiving a service, but people don't come to Labrie to receive a service. They're, they're coming into our homes to receive hospitality. Um, instead, when we welcome people into our home, we see that at a profound level, we are guests as well. We are God's guests. And in extending the gifts God gives us, we are expressing the content of the gospel in how we do it. We desire to embody in our hearts and in practice what we hold as true. Um, so this is really at the heart of the hospitality of Labrie. Uh, and while I'm speaking about the hospitality of Labrie, um, I hope that an understanding of Christian hospitality would extend beyond our walls and into the public realm where Christians are involved in business, in politics, in arts, and so on. If Christians demonstrated care for creation as God has called us into, we would see a radical shift in how businesses, politics, arts, and sciences would function. Uh, if businesses adopted a form of Christian hospitality, we would begin to see people not as numbers or objects on spreadsheets, but as persons of dignity, and to press our businesses toward ways of humanizing and living hospitably in today's world. We must not just be ethical in our business transactions, but consider the way we do business. Such hospitality also informs and transforms our economics, as it did for the Hebrew people under the Deuteronomic law. Sabbath laws around, the land, um, around land use, manual labor, and households hinged on being faithful to God's hospitality. They were to allow the poor to glean from the remainder of their harvest and to welcome foreigners into the land and into their way of life, for they needed to, be re to remember that they too lived as aliens in the land that God had given them. How might this inform our current economic practices? How might we extend welcome to the poor and to the homeless and to the foreigners in our own land? Christian hospitality in the 1940s also touched our practice of medicine in Canada. 
Tommy Douglas, a socially minded Baptist, recognized, he was a politician, uh, recognized the dignity of every person in realizing that no one should be denied basic medical care. Uh, he felt that everyone needed medical care as a principle out of his Christian convictions. Hospitality under the Lordship of Christ should shape every aspect of life, for it involves not just the welcome of individuals into our own spaces, but the hospitable care that God desires to show to all creation. In spite of this wide call for the transformation of culture, and in spite of this impossible call for our own community, we are neither idealistic nor triumphalistic. Uh, hospitality is a messy and costly affair. For Christ to welcome us into his divine fellowship, he had to suffer and die on the cross. So we should understand that a gospel-shaped hospitality will be costly. There's uh, two reasons why it's costly and messy. One reason it is costly is because we desire to show hospitality in and to a culture that is bent against its creator, which can be seen in its various ways of being, which in today's Western and increasingly global culture is in its mechanisms and techniques to dominate um, for our own purposes. So to create places of welcome in such a culture will prove far more difficult than one might imagine. I found out how difficult it was by, um, by finding that there's no such thing as by zoning bylaws that are created for hospitality that we show. We will need to be personally involved with our own time, our own space, and our own possessions. We can't simply be dependent on an institution like the church or the state to fulfill our good intentions. So at Labrie, we do not sit in ivory towers watching the people go by, disseminating our great thoughts to those below, but deeply involved in the acts of sustaining this place as a shelter for those who come. And it's very tiring. It's very trying, especially uh, with those who judge us and who enjoy or who unknowingly create discord in our community. Um, but we do it because it all flows from the gratitude we have for the Savior who has sacrificed his own life to restore us, his enemies, into his glorious kingdom. Hospitality is also a messy and costly affair. I said it first because culture is bent against the Creator. It's also costly because we ourselves are selfish. I'm speaking of those of us here at Labrie. I'm not going to speak for all of you. Mm -hmm. um, but I know Julia, Liz, and I are very selfish people. We're inconsistent, we're frail, and we're sinful under the best of conditions. It has become all the more difficult to open our homes because it's easy to succumb to what Francis Schaeffer called the middle-class values of personal peace and affluence. That just means I want my peace and I want my security uh, and I want my material wealth. We seek our own personal happiness before seeking the good of another and we seek the security and luxuries of material wealth. Um, as long as we're not in debt, <laughs> which many of us are. <clears throat> this can take place in any heart, in any place, at any time, no matter how much or how little one has. With so much chaos in the world, and with the busy pace of our lives, many look to their homes as personal refuges, or at least the refuge of an iPhone or a headset. Now, hopefully our places are places of peace, but they should not be at the cost of cutting ourselves off from extending true hospitality. 
Jesus challenged his listeners and us not to show hospitality just to our friends, but also to the lame, the beggars, the crippled, the marginalized. How open are we to the other? How hard it is to cut against our own creature comforts to extend the welcome that God desires for us to extend. How short we fall to show the grace that has been extended to us. We are constantly reminded of this as workers at Libri. Nevertheless, and this is where I'm ending, at Libri we look to our Redeemer, Jesus Christ, and His grace as we attempt to extend the hospitality we are called to show. Through Him, our hospitality is deepened to the very core of what it means to be in right relationship with all people. Instead of trying to put on a perfect appearance in order to garnish the gospel, do you remember the movie Saved? Mandy Moore was this very uptight Christian cheerleader type. And, uh, and she saw that this one person was coming around and, and she turned to the person to her side and she's like, laugh, laugh, smile and laugh. And they're like, why? And they're like, so that the, they think that Christians are really happy and fun. You know? <laughs> and, it's, what? and it's a very weird circumstance. It's also the same movie where she's uh, so angry that she throws the Bible at someone and says, I'm full of the love of Christ. <laughs> but uh, anyway. Uh, <clears throat> but more realistically, you know, sometimes we try to put on this perfect public appearance to make the gospel kind of pretty or acceptable, like a garnish. Uh, um, instead of pretending the people we aren't, we may stand before our guests and before one another as those in need of God's infinite mercy in Christ. And therefore reveal that our value and our identity do not rest on anything or anyone but on Christ alone. This has given us, anchored us, when people walked in and judge us. They judge us for what we wear, how we cook, how we talk, everything, how we parent. And what anchors us is what Christ thinks. And so out of that we are able then to receive them. We're not trying to please. We do not pretend that everything is fine but nor are we cynical. As we depend on the grace of God through Christ, we do not need to set up any other standard by which we are judged, not even by the own lies that can rattle around in someone's own head. When this becomes a reality objectively, and the deeper this becomes a reality subjectively, we become living witnesses of the gospel in our very selves and then begin to invite a real welcome. We are secure enough to love even our own enemies, and welcome all those who desire to come into our midst. At Libri, we desire for people to come within our homes, within our fellowship, and taste and see that the Lord is good. Um, so I hope that is, um, or I hope that this is something that can extend to you in your own places, in your own lives, in your own work. That's where I end. Um, so now we can have some time as a discussion. <clears throat> Um, so does anyone want to take a start or a stab at it? I'm not sure how this works, but um, <clears throat> can you repeat your kind of summary statement of what hospitality was? You mentioned something about outflowing. Of I said hospitality for the Christian is the natural outflowing expression of what it means to be in Christ towards others in our person and from our homes and out in the public sphere. Would you like me to say that one more time? Um, that's okay. 
I guess, like, my, my initial question is just, like, uh, it's very, yeah, like, your definition is very broad, uh, more broad than kind of, like you were saying, like, I usually think of hospitality, or people generally think of hospitality. Um, I'm wondering, like, how did you arrive at, like, such a kind of broad definition? How does it, like, relate to, like, these other, like, kind of broad virtues, like love, or goodwill, or compassion? How do you see? Well, um, I think that first of all, when people define hospitality, I grew up with the idea that hospitality was the notion of hosting. Uh, You know, you set out the nice plates and maybe you buy some nice things and welcome your friends over. Uh, And people say, oh, wow, Clark's very hospitable. You know, he knew how to play the right music, make the right jokes, make people feel comfortable. And wasn't that such a lovely evening? When I started thinking about what it means to be hospitable um, in Christ, well, that started expanding it much further than just making people feel comfortable. I was like, well, it's not just about welcoming people to make them feel comfortable. Uh, It's welcoming them uh, in a way that, you know, I'm supposed to welcome them as Christ welcomes me. Uh, And so that was the seed that kind of... extended the definition or expanded it. So sure, love, compassion, self-control, all these things are a part of what it means to be hospitable because it is the nature of God's hospitality. Uh, I guess any time that I tried to come up with a definition, I try to think, okay, how does God reveal this and show this from his own character? So when you think hospitality, how did God show his hospitality? And so I started thinking of, well, he's hospitable as a creator because he created an environment in which we can live and be and um, delight. And then there's also the hospitality of the cross where he welcomes any to come to him and that he, he welcomed even his enemies. Um, so, so once I started doing that, it just started getting bigger and bigger. Uh, to put too fine of a point on it would reduce someone to, let's say that someone is single and says, uh, and has just their their small apartment and says, well, I can't show hospitality. I don't have multiple rooms or whatever. And I say, no, that's not true. Christian hospitality happens as you walk the streets. Are you a person that is hospitable to people around you as you go to the to the store, as you go to your job, as you walk the sidewalk? So I feel that it's more important to see Christian hospitality as more broad than something more specific like hosting. Does that help? Um, yeah, it helps. Um, but so, like, you also mentioned that, uh, or in your response there, like, um, you see kind of like, like love and uh, compassion, or like these other kind of aspects, is maybe falling under this kind of broad definition of uh, hospitality. Mm-hmm. Um, Yeah, but yeah. Yeah. Well, um, yeah. Let's come back to that if you have some other thoughts. Anyone else? Hmm. I have a question. 
you mentioned um, <clears throat> obstacles or like um, that, or maybe you, if you can clarify, do you, Libri encounters flack or conflict or judgment from, from like, that's guests. a common thing? You guess people. I, uh, sometimes people ask me, I'm, I'm often asked, what is Libri? Uh-huh. <clears throat> uh, sometimes I, I jokingly define it as a place where we welcome people to judge us. <laughs> that's actually quite accurate in many ways. Okay. Um, <clears throat> it's hard not to judge, <laughs> uh, especially when you come into someone's house and you, and you look around and you think, oh, is this furniture old or are these books updated? What kind are they knowing? Are they, are they, are they intelligent? Are they, are they kind? How do they talk to their children? And, and not all these judgments are wrong. Uh, mm -hmm. I mean, to judge is a part of what it means to, to be in the world. Uh, Jesus says is it, that we will be judged by the same measure in which we judge. But judgment itself uh, is necessary. I mean, that's the basis for justice. So when people come in, they will be <clears throat> judging us in, in certain ways. But we often get, uh, it's usually the, I find that sometimes where people judge us is the point of crisis in which we actually can go forward together. Um, <clears throat> what I mean by that is how we parent or how we set the table, or how we talk about ideas. Because we welcome people from all different walks of life, all different types of convictions. And so certainly there's going to be judgments about that. <clears throat> uh, some people are more free-flowing with their judgments. <laughs> some people are more Canadian with them and they just quietly think them. Um, but yeah, it's very common for people to judge us. Sorry about that, eh? <laughs> <laughs> no problem. It's interesting that people would actually come here and willfully stay here for a time, but ha have their hackles up as well? Like, oh, all the time. Wow. Mm. Mm. <laughs> it strikes me that, yeah, hospitality is, is something you can have even as a guest, too, in the way that you mm. are. Like there's people who come here, and I like I remember when I first came, the first time I came as a student, it was really hard for me to receive hospitality. Actually, mm -hmm. um, like I felt bad about it all the time, and I think like I, I hadn't learned to be hospitable in the way I received even um, someone else's hospitality. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I think we think it's like, like one thing I've learned too is is that actually. Um, what often makes people feel the most welcomed here is feeling like they have something to offer. Um, I remember one older woman who could be quite frustrating sometimes, but she um, she really she she wanted to do something that would normally be my job to do, and I and I want to get attention for doing it. And but I realized like she really wanted to be able to contribute something so I said okay <coughs> you can take this on and I know it really meant so much to her but like um, I realized that rather than be putting on the show of things you know being perfect and beautiful or whatever like sometimes you have to let someone do something and and maybe it doesn't look exactly like the way that you want it to be or whatever but to make them feel um, that they have an actual contribution and they do have an actual contribution not just to make them feel that <laughs> way because we really depend on our students too but I think um, yeah, when we think that hospitality is just like 
you doing everything for someone else. Um, I think that, yeah, that it's, it's um, receiving other people's contributions um, and also learning how to be a good guest too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I believe that Labrie is a place that helps. Sorry, does someone have a Nissan? They just parked behind it. And oh, Martin. Have to get out. The, the gray one is parked right behind me? Yes. Yeah. Can you just back up even like two feet? I have to go get the kids. Sorry. <laughs> this is how to be a bad guest, Martin. He's <laughs> <laughs> being gracious to me. Uh, no, it was, you know, I thought it was, no. We usually, people parking behind us is usually great because we never leave, right? I believe that Labrie is a great place to help people learn the art of hospitality. Some people have uh, been upset that we ask them to work uh, instead of just being a quiet retreat, like a monastic center. So half the day is spent studying, but the half the day is spent working. Uh, there was one student that came uh, to Swiss Labrie. I won't say who she is. She's from the island, um, uh, and uh, but I will explain her story, which is it's fine for me to share. Is that she went to Swiss Labrie at the same time as I was a student, and she offered a nice meal or bought a fondue, and it was very you know. But she hated that she had to work. She's like, what What is this? I show up at a retreat and they make me work half the time. This is crazy. And so she didn't like that at all. And then she went to Schloss Mittersill right after that, which is a, a, an Austrian study center that no longer exists, but did at the time. Uh, had a relationship with Regent College nearby uh, and also Labrie. Um, well, there was a conference that was going on at the time, but you can be a student um, in the same way. Uh, you can listen to tapes and studies and all this. Well... Uh, she was there and there was this big conference and she was meeting all these people with ideas and she's like, oh, this is vastly superior to Labrie. Um, and, uh, but then all the guests left and the workers would be in the kitchen. They would be working and there was only like one or two of them left and it's kind of like this big castle, beautiful castle. And she was just kind of like <laughs> bouncing around like tumbleweed in this castle. And she felt very alone and she saw that the workers were playing volleyball and having tea and hanging out with each other. And she said it dawned on her that the work that she had been doing at Labrie was actually her ability to show hospitality and be a part of a community. It transformed her vision of what community was about. So much so that she was partnered with someone who set up a, um, uh, a shelter for people who were in transition. Uh, out of work, maybe struggling with addictions. And a part of their way of getting out of addictions is actually helping them work half the time. Uh, and that was, and it came from this, uh, and working alongside with. So that came from Labrie uh, as a way of helping addicts and people who are in transition. Uh, and so, yeah, Labrie, I, I find is, it's not because we're just trying to have minions or something to do. <laughs> but there's very careful thought about this. It is it's it's giving opportunity for people to be hospitable to the place where they are guests. And like I said, we feel that we are guests too, because we constantly give praise to God for this having this property, which could easily have not existed for us. Um, so. 
So yeah, that's being a guest is you can be a guest and be hospitable just as just as much as a host. Something or you're yeah. 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 Go for it. You may have said it while I was doing my bad guess bit, so who knows? Um, expressing hospitality in one's everyday life in the sort of challenge that you set before us um, is something for everybody, especially those who wish uh, Christ's attributes to show through them. But are there some who have that extra, shall I say, level, um, which might be described as being a gift of hospitality that mm. they have and somebody else doesn't? Yes, yeah, it's, it's a good question. And absolutely, that's true. There are some people who... Um, who have a gift of knowing really how to uh, having a, maybe a high capacity of welcoming many or handling many different kinds of people. But in other ways, it, the church had it as an imperative. So it wasn't, you know, like the, the gift of tongues or the gift of preaching or these types of different gifts that we would say, okay, well, that person is enabled to do this, maybe even for the time being, but this is their role. But the church doesn't say, uh, you know, if you are gifted in this. It said practice hospitality. Offer it without grumbling. <coughs> uh, and it even extended saying uh, show hospitality to those who are in prison. Um, uh, as if you were in prison. Offer hospitality to those who are suffering. As if you yourself were suffering. So it's not, yes, there are people who have more capabilities and maybe even more financial circumstances to do something quite big. But I believe in God's economy, even the simple act of hospitality as we walk through our life is, is an imperative on all of us. So uh, I think that we don't, we don't extend this command on us harsh enough or hard enough. Um, now, what does that look like? It doesn't mean that you have to take someone into your home necessarily, though John Chrysostom probably would disagree with me in his grave. Uh, uh, it's very difficult. It's also very difficult in our culture because in the past, when a stranger would walk past, I mean, usually the stories of hospitality in, in the Old Testament um, are there because it was so much easier to offer hospitality in one sense because you would have the city gate and, a per and that was the marketplace. While everyone's there, you knew everybody. Just kind of think of a small town or a small island where everyone knew each other. And if a stranger comes up and you're like, that's a stranger. Everyone knows that that's a stranger. Well, all the neighbors know that if you say, okay, I'm going to, um, Liz is this homeless woman and she's running away from this town. 
haggard, soot on her face, something disastrous. And she's walking into the town, and I, and I tell Julia, oh, we should take uh, this woman in. Well, it wouldn't just be us taking some stranger into a like private place that no one else knows that we're offering hospitality. The whole town would know that we're offering hospitality to her. And in fact, maybe in part of our expressing hospitality. Um, that was the inhospitality of Sodom and Gomorrah. You know, they welcomed these guests and then the town wanted to uh, attack them. So, uh, yeah, it's difficult in our little private spheres, you know. Uh, but there can be ways of showing hospitality at the store or in our job or in how we work with customers. There's can be, there can be a variety of ways of showing hospitality, and I think that that command lays upon all Christians. I have a bit of trouble with your the use of the word hospitality in the broader sense that you use it because I just can't get my head around that being hospitality. Like I, I don't know what does scripture say about visiting prisoners? How does it put it? Uh, it says in Hebrews thirteen, uh, don't forget to show hospitality to strangers. For by so doing, some people have even entertained angels without knowing it. Remember those in prison as if you were fellow prisoners, and those who are mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering. So it's not just I welcoming yeah. people into the home. No, but I just wouldn't see that as hospitality. Hmm. So I find it easier to focus on the hospitality in the example you just gave. Of welcoming but someone into your home. I mean, I like, uh, I found it very helpful what you said about the basis of it. Um, yeah, you know. Because I would say that visiting the sick is something else. Or the um, remembering those in prison. Yeah, hospitality is just seems like a welcome. Yeah, by you into your yeah into your life uh, so I, I don't know I'm just still working trying to work out your yeah so what does it mean to welcome someone into your life mm -hmm. <clears throat> it may mean your place but I believe that we can welcome people in a whole variety of ways I, yes I, I feel exactly the same way. And I was just, as you were talking, I was just wondering, is there another word? Hmm. Like, could you exchange hospitality for something as generic as love? Or that's, is that that's not the word I thought of? Is, well, yeah. uh, I think there's various aspects to love. You know, uh, <clears throat> yeah, I mean... I'm okay for us to change it if need be. My intent on making a broader definition of hospitality is to move us away from just thinking that we need to welcome someone into our house. Uh, because sometimes people can't do that. Or at least they need to think, okay, what does it mean to even welcome someone into my house? Uh, 
I see hospitality as a welcome. When God, was hosp when God created hospitality for his creatures in the beginning, he wasn't welcoming them into his home necessarily, but he was welcoming them into a creation that he created conditions for them. Um, you want to add something? Yeah, well, sorry. I, no, no, go ahead. Well, I, I just as we've been talking about the stuff, I've been thinking about the Martha and Mary story again, which is a classic one for hospitality, right? And also because I was thinking about it tonight when I was running around feeling frustrated. <laughs> so, but I think just thinking about Mary again, like she, I think she was hospitable in the way that she was with Jesus. Um, and I think that's a kind of hospitality you could show. She could have showed that hospitality really anywhere. Um, and Henry Nouwen talks about hospitality as a sort of making space mm -hmm. for the other. Like you're not trying to fill all the things that they lack, but just create space mm -hmm. for them to be welcomed into. And so I think that is something that you can do in your way of being as well. And I, I know I definitely know people who I feel when I'm around them, I feel at home in a sense. Um, and they, they kind of just create that space in their being um, that isn't like anxiously trying to, to fix me or solve my problems. Um, nor is it trying to like get something from me, but just it's kind of with me, you know, and um, and like respects my boundaries and theirs. But but it's yeah, I, I feel like I'm being welcomed into their life and into God's life through that too. I don't know if that makes sense or helps to mm -hmm. explain it a little bit, but yeah. Yeah, no. Yeah. Go ahead. That helps. Yeah, wel welcoming is is a is a word that really helps. Mm -hmm. Me thinking of hospitality and, and wherever, but um, some of those other specific things do seem more like straight acts of love and not particularly hospitality. But and I sure we, Fred and I were talking before we came about hospitality and uh, agreeing with what Liz was saying that it's that you need somebody needs to receive it too. You can give it, but people do need to receive it, and sometimes maybe we have trouble in our culture receiving hospitality. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there, there are rules laid down for receiving it, like don't question what's on your plate. <laughs> right. No, I mean it's, that's that's uh, that's a specific directive. Mm -hmm. um, Today, it's especially appropriate when we have a vast culture of, of particular diets. I don't eat green carrots or. Uh, or I don't eat green carrots. Oh, oh, no, there are green carrots. Or, so, but yeah. the, the, quest, the directive is to receive hospitality as it's given. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, and we don't do that. We so we it does make it harder to give. <coughs> Interestingly, uh, Edith Schaefer in her book Le Brie, uh she's talking about uh, uh, the loving care that she shows of Christ in, uh, in meeting all the dietary <laughs> needs of the guests. <laughs> And I was like, wow, that was happening in the 70s? <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, 
but you're right. I mean, sometimes they are necessary, right? Because oh, of because of our diets have become, and and life circumstances restrict people from certain things. But uh, but you are correct. I mean, I'm trying to teach my children to be thankful for what they have on their plate, and so I always try to talk them when we go into someone's house. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have to remind them right before we walk in and then right before we eat. This is where you say thank you. Uh, and do your... <laughs> uh, so yeah, it, to receive hospitality... So when people, I mean, Liz mentioned that earlier in terms of saying that you know sometimes guests need to know how to receive hospitality. And so... Uh, but a part of that is, you know, as we extend hospitality at Labrie, um, we also want people to to see it and receive it so that they might also give it. I think hospitality should be something that is mutual. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I want to avoid the fine-tuning of, uh, yeah. the fine-tuning of hospitality. Because we have reduced it to very certain acts to say, okay, it's about making a meal for people at the church that I don't like. You know, that's like <laughs> the biggest or something like that like when you're really stretching yourself. Uh, but if we, I want to broaden it. One, because I saw so many people when I first was giving this talk of, about people like, well, I'm, I'm single, or I don't have a lot to give. Or, and I'm like, well, it's not th- about that. It's about opening yourself up to the other uh, and making space rather than giving them their needs. You know. uh, yes, Fred? The primary meaning is still to, to open your tent gates and, and invite the stranger in. And then we, we extend that out to other parts of life, but the, the foundation of the idea is to uh, give the stranger who comes into town a bed so he doesn't have to sleep under the stars. That's still the foundation. And then I don't know. I think it's I think it's an instance of a greater thing. I find that giving a bed, extending a bed, is just one instance. I, I think that allowing the foreigners to come into the land and allow them to live among you is also a part of hospitality that the Israelites were supposed to show. Yes. Uh, even if they didn't give them a bed. They no, allowed them to... Them a bed. They were allowing them to have some land. Yes. I know, Josh, but you know, is this about this? Um, it's related. Okay. <laughs> Josh is it's listening related. very Josh closely to what you're about to say. <laughs> well, I was just wondering, like, was God hospitable before he created us? Like, is the Trinity hospitable? Um, and because I was just thinking about like situations of mutual hospitality, mm-hmm. like one example I was thinking is maybe marriage, but um, but yeah, is the trin- is the Trinity hospitable within itself? Because that's that's the kind of case. So there's not like one is a guest and one is the yeah. host, whatever. Um, well, that's how people speak of the of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit as continually emptying themselves to one another. Uh, that they are. Uh, that they're almost like in this dance-like place of always giving to the other, always giving to the other. So, yes, there is a sense. I mean, we can't see into the Godhead like that. Um, we see instances of when Jesus would say, I do as what my Father is doing, and, and they're chatting, but uh, there seems to be a great love for one another. Uh, Thomas Aquinas said that um, 
creation was an act of uh, of generosity of their fellowship is because they had so much to give that it flowed out into creating so that they that they might have more to love but Josh yeah, um, if I may interject a, an authority into this conversation. Um, Is this you? No, it's not. <laughs> I, 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 I defer. Um, no, if, uh, according to Strong's Concordance, the, uh, the, the word for, uh, for hospitality in, in the particular scripture that uh, uh, Clark gave is phylonexia, and they, and they give as a literal definition love of strangers. And then we will say that, you know, in particular, you know, the particular instances are, um, you know, it, you know it, in that bringing them into your house. But, but it, it, does, it does appear here that it's showing, you know, it, it'll, it'll give it as broadly as the love of the strangers. Yeah, that's great. Thank you. Yeah. And I'm just thinking as we're kind of like working through the hospitality without narrowing mm. it too much is that that piece that you mentioned about vulnerability mm. and the risk mm-hmm. and how but I'm thinking like those those hospitable potentially hospitable moments that are the most challenging the ones where you have to relinquish a bit of control mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. and not have everything laid out perfectly and you mm-hmm. don't know how your hospitality is going to be received mm-hmm. which makes me think of that the personal you have a beautiful like this and this that you described earlier and I forget what words you used but it was like the programs versus the personal mm. welcoming and I think I'm still stuck on like so how do we do that in our culture where there's like so many safeties and so many like confidentiality and you can't say and like no one can know where you live and like mm. all that kind of stuff and I like I want to step into that vulnerable space of like I don't know how this is going to go and mm may not be responsible in society's picture and I don't know how to do that yeah it's really good um, because I was talking about it's a messy and costly affair because culture is bent against um, uh, against the creator's design so against the design where there's supposed to be a natural love for the stranger it's not seen as an enemy or the other is not seen as as something to be competing against or to fear but something to um, someone to embrace uh but it doesn't mean that we should be foolish in how we do that. Uh, there are certain ways, as I was mentioning earlier at the city gate, people knew that you were welcoming somebody, somebody into your home. Um, in our society, if you welcome someone into your home, maybe someone would never know. You know? Um, so that's why I think Labrie is actually quite helpful to me and to all of us at Labrie because we are welcoming people into a really a public way. Uh, and it, it hasn't just been the practice. And it's not just the size of the home, but it's the structure. And that's why I was talking about truth as a, a part of our identity and vision of how we can function. Uh, but we're doing it quite, you know, illegally <laughs> in ways. But... But we have certain ways of creating buffers that help us. And so we're paying very close attention. Uh, so when guests come in, uh, Liz, Julie, and I are very hyper aware of all the guests and of all their, um, of all their ways and all their uh, needs and all these types of things. Uh, I think a lot about, <laughs> we're watching all of you, uh, but it's also an act of care, vigilant care. 
in, you know, in relation to my children, you know, I, I think very carefully about, okay, how, how are my children a part of this hospitality? Because my children offer hospitality. They don't know that, but they do. Uh, but I also have to be vigilant around them and say, oh, how do I protect them as well? Um, so there, there are lots of difficulties, but it's because of Liz and Julia and me and because of the structure of Labrie that helps protect my children in many ways. Um, so, yeah, as a single person, I would say try to offer hospitality to those that you can, not just to anyone. Uh, you have to be wise on, okay, how can I show hospitality? To whom might I show hospitality? I mean, you just have to begin somewhere, but maybe, okay, uh, the, the, the person in my class or, or the person in, in, my, in my church or in my community um, or the neighbor. Uh, Julia's mother is very good at hospitality. Um, she has all these people in her apartment complex. And so she'll just have like organized, not into her home, but she'll have like a Jamaican night. And she'll like do all this kind of stuff. And she might organize it and someone else is like, oh, I want to do that with you. And so she starts doing that kind of stuff. And all the, all the neighbors, she's really good at getting neighbors to know each other. Uh, Julie and I were on Main Street, uh, um, Main and 15th in Vancouver. Uh, not the friendliest, most hospitable city in the world. Uh, and we lived and we were friendly and we were always like waving to people and always we're like the nice couple. But then after we moved out, this other couple moved in that we knew and um, basically they worked it out that they could take our place. Uh, they transformed it. And we felt very like, wow, we fall short. They have the gift of hospitality uh, where they were inviting people and they knew all their neighbors very well. And all the neighbors started going to them as, a, uh, as um, almost as a touchstone of, can you help me? Or I'm known, uh, let's have tea. So... Yeah, we have to be wise about how we can show it. There has to be some risk, some vulnerability, uh, some cost. You know, people break our plates all the time. They've broken precious things of ours. Uh, what's that? They have not broken my heart. <laughs> it's too hard. Uh, you know, uh, and in some ways, I think that that is a part of literal cost of welcoming people and know that they are um, that they are a part of it but yeah I think it it just all depends on your circumstances but I do think it's risky but we just have to be wise in how we do it did you want to say more no oh <laughs> just one comment on this being a single person hospitality thing like I think I think you can well definitely you can be hospitable as a single person and as a person who does that very well um but also, one way I'm trying to challenge myself is, again, to the guest thing, is to invite myself to people's house. Mm. Just because sometimes, like, that gets past that that initial barrier of being like... Like, it's just like we have this weird thing in North America of being like, I can't go to someone's house. And, like, especially with families and, and couples and stuff, just saying, like, can I come... Like I said to a family at church, I was like, I would really like to get to know your family could I come to your house sometime? You can come to my house if you want, but it might be easier for me to come to your house because you have a young child and stuff. And so I think like that... that and I'm sure they didn't hesitate. And, and she, she was like, I just wish that I'd asked you first. <laughs> and, like, and, and so, 
yeah, so I think sometimes we can forget like, oh, we can we can be a, a gift too. <laughs> um, and and that is like and just like being the first to kind of initiate that it can sometimes be like a hospitable act too, I think. So um, it doesn't always have to be that you have like all these toys for these kids to play with them. Yeah. So, first, I want to just wanted to thank you for the speech, and uh, it was pretty helpful. And uh, and also, I just wanted to, I guess, ask about this kind of technique, this kind of I don't know, this kind of skill kind of thing, because and because uh, since you kind of mentioned about it like, being deeply involved, and uh, and also like based on the uh, conversation, we can talk about like not being anxious and not trying to fix the the problems, I guess. And um, so I've been working on this kind of project in Vancouver where I've been trying to start this kind of men's house, and as I mentioned before, and uh, um, trying to pursue purity with the guys and trying to be, I guess, pure. Um, so I guess, I don't know, like, I, I, I want you to be the judge when it comes to this. Is this stupid? Because, I mean, for sure, you know, I, my intention is pretty good, I mean, it's pretty good, right, like, to pursue hope purity and holiness but is it is it too am I going to create this kind of like anxious presence and trying to fix problems where the guys that were trying to come to be like oh my gosh I'm going to be fixed that kind of thing right and I don't want to I don't want to be that person which, which, which just kind of creates this kind of anxiety you know among people and uh, and also I, I've been kind of a bit discouraged by you because you're such a, such a go, good host and uh, it's uh, after two days of staying here. at work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, after two days of staying here. Um, yeah, I was kind of discouraged, but I mean, also I've been pretty amazed by, I guess, your, yeah, your skills and gift, gifting of yeah, hosting me. Yeah, so you know, that. in response yeah. to your question, Labrie does not come easy for people, and in fact, uh, the average life of a Labrie worker is about three years. Like, uh, no, not, not, like, <laughs> the average work span for the worker is three years. I mean, they're dying like flies. I thought I read something about that in the news. That's right. Uh, so if anyone wants to apply, we're excited. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There are lots of vacancies. Um, we're looking for robust, healthy specimens. Um, no, people will, on average, leave the work after three years. That's about the average. Uh, because it's very tiring. It's very taxing. It's very demanding. Uh, there are some people who have survived and um, have done well within the work of Libri. Um, but, it, but even as Liz would attest, as you know, as um, she's been in the work um, for um, a, a few years, is that the beginning is actually quite difficult to know. Okay, what is my space? What is not my space? Mm -hmm. What what are my things? What are not my things? Because 
after at the end of term, I come over here and try to find all our dishes that got lost. <laughs> and then I try to return all the Labrie dishes and uh, and there's constantly things getting lost or, or books taken and these types of things. And at first you could get stressed about it. So those things will actually push against against us. And we actually have a structure, a, a legacy, a heritage that we have inherited. We have a community around us that helps us understand our work. Uh, and we do it communally. Uh, there have been people who started community houses after leaving Libri and even with other Libri guests. Uh, and some have succeeded and many have not. Most have not. Because it was what holds us together. What are the conditions of us being together? Uh, who is the leader of this thing? And if there's not a leader, how does this work? Because Labrie does have a structure, uh, there's, uh, but it tries to be as flat as possible, a flat structure. But it doesn't mean that we can't call each other to account to something higher. Uh, so I would say first, it would it'd be the conditions of how, like, what is the shape of the community? Uh, what it, what's, what's holding it together? Uh, if it's just built on your personality, then it's going to be difficult. Uh, it's going to be very difficult to sustain that. Uh, secondly, I would say that this true spirituality aspect is very important to to say, okay, my uh, what I mean is, <clears throat> who am I before Christ? You know, Paul... You know, Paul has this amazing uh, personality that shows up in, uh, in character that shows up in his letters. And they're like, oh, they're preaching out of envy. And he's in prison. He's probably going to die. And he's just like, oh, if they're preaching out of envy or whatever, whatever, as long as Christ is being preached. And by the way, I might die. <laughs> and you're just like, wow, he has, he has amazing compassion in that way. Um because his, and he even says, it's not even what I think of myself. It's ultimately what God thinks of me. Uh, it's really being anchored in, okay, it's not about what these guys think of you. Um, if they like you, they don't like you. It doesn't mean that that's license to be a jerk. It's a license to be humbled, even. And so I've been humbled to guests. I've apologized to guests um, when I've wronged them. Uh, I have, I have gone out of my way to make amends with guests. Uh, I know that they'll be leaving, uh, you know, and, but, but it's because of what I want to be before Christ that I will humble myself before a guest. Um, or, or people will look to me with authority. Um, it's, I'm just constantly looking to Christ as my anchor rather than um, trying to always look around and see how well I'm doing. That kind of thing. Uh, so yeah, there's lots of reasons why it can cause anxiety when you're wanting to do a new work, which I think is very laudable and it's very good. I encourage you to do it uh, from what I know. Uh, but but yeah, you, you would need a common idea of like, why, why are we together? And then you having your own anchor in what Christ thinks of you, not what other everyone else thinks of you. So... Yeah, but we'll talk about this more. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Sure. Oh. Um, yeah, I was just 
uh, to your comment about like burnout and people like usually only lasting three years working out with three, I was just thinking about like if this is the way you know we're meant to live, like ideally it would be something we could continue, like it would be mm -hmm. sustainable. So I'm just wondering if you could speak to that at all in terms of like sustain this kind of way of living and like maybe the importance of like having certain boundaries and like maybe solitude in order to kind of like mm. feed that. I was just wondering if working in Libri for a while, if you had kind of like more thoughts about that aspect of it. Well, one, uh, I don't think that Libri is the only valid expression sure. of Christian faith. And in fact, uh, I love Libri. I think it's very profound in many ways, but I don't think it's perfect. Um, uh, I've seen people come from other communities that feel that they're quite sustainable. And there is, there's even an ongoing question about the question of sustainability. Mm. Because Labrie is not about community. Mm. It's about mission. Uh, and so that's why the Schaefer's called it fellowship and not communities. Because they thought about calling it Labrie communities. Mm. But they said, no, no, we're not about community. Uh, so sometimes people will come and say, oh, I want to be in this perfect community. Uh, and the Shaver's like, no, this is really a fellowship. Fellowship after um, Amy Carmichael's Donover uh, Fellowship. So it's just about the mission. So when people come here, it's not about, oh, I really hope that um, this works for you, so you need to have all the boundaries that you need and all this kind of stuff. Uh, it's more about, are you, are you in this mission? Mm -hmm. And if you can't stay the mission more than three years, then okay, that's fine. You were a blessing to Labrie for three years, or you were a blessing to Labrie for 10 years or 20 years. Um, uh, there's, there's rare, there's not many people who retire in Labrie, we call it. Um, there's people who, who've worked in Labrie for 15, 20, 25 years, and they end up leaving because it's no longer sustainable because of life, because of health, because of whatever. Uh, so it's always hard to kind of address what makes life sustainable for a person because everyone needs different things. Uh, they have different gifts. Uh, um, they have different circumstances, health circumstances and whatnot. Uh, <clears throat> Labrie is not rigid, but I don't know. Uh, it's, it's hard to answer the question because of what different people need. But the ongoing conversation in Libri is, okay, what are appropriate boundaries? Mm -hmm. And what is the discussion of boundaries in a mission? Mm -hmm. um, uh, I've seen, uh, I've ha I've seen people who are in the downtown east side and they get burnt out very quickly um, in ministries because there's such a high demand on them. Uh, you know, there was one student that came from Salvation Army and um, and she, she came completely burnt out. Um, uh, and it was because the leader kept telling her to keep giving, giving, giving. And there was a person that was taking, taking, taking. Mm -hmm. This one homeless person that was uh, mentally unwell. And they kept taking. And she's like, I can't take this anymore. And they're like, no, Christ would give into the end. Mm -hmm. you know. And it completely demolished her. And so she came just as you know, as shreds of a person when she came and felt that somehow she failed mm -hmm. to be Christ-like. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but, but that fails to understand what we are as humans. Mm -hmm. We need to understand what we are as humans. But we do live in a culture that's quite soft and entitled. We must admit that. So, um, 
so yeah, I, I think it just it just depends. I mean, did you want to? Was that as vague as possible? Yeah, and I think that I think that's a really, really it's a huge question because it ties into this whole aspect of us being such an individualistic culture, and we can justify anything by saying, "Well, I need this, right?" And even if it's true, right, we do need it, and. Because we're an individualistic culture, we don't have a built-in system of accountability like you do here at Labrie, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Where we can, we're accountable to, where there's somebody else that's maybe challenging us or mm-hmm. saying, hey, maybe you need that solid tool, yeah. right? It's hard. That's true. That's really helpful. One thing that um, you just brought to mind, actually, just thinking about why hospitality is a probably a better um, um, word is that um, I'm just thinking about in this time can't believe I didn't think about it until now um, just with all these different ideas and stuff that we're you know, as a culture wrestling with and playing with the lack of um, hostility is completely um, integral to to um, tolerance right like if somebody were here well you know you could believe X, Y, Z, and if it doesn't fit the flavor of what somebody else believes, it's, that's it. Whereas I think, um, as a Christian, it's really important to be friends and, and be willing to befriend people from a myriad of beliefs and backgrounds and, and actually, um, like real tolerance, right? Not relative to a very narrow bandwidth. So, um, and that's very rare today. Like if, uh, we should think that a Trump supporter and a transgender person and a whatever and on and on and on, they should be able to coexist and yeah. dialogue. And that's, that's which happens at Labrie. Yeah. That exact scenario. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's not the funny thing is that's so shocking in, in this culture, but it, it's cause it, it's just funny. Cause it's like, well, that's not really, that is that, that, it has become shocking nowadays, but it's not terribly crazy, right? Like when you, yeah. Um, if, if, if I may riff um, off, of, off of what you said. No riffing. No riffing. Okay. <laughs> um, the, uh, i, I got to be careful what I say because I, I think I heard there's an anthropologist in the room, but from, 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 from anthropology, I, I'm aware that there's this, this concept called Dunbar's number, which is that we, the, the, the human, the, the we as people are capable of having about 150 people that we know that are part of our tribe, mm-hmm. um, and so there, there is there is different kinds of, from what I believe, there there are different kinds of uh, love or, or 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 goodwill between people that is possible, and and, and so there's going to be one sort of good love or love and goodwill that will happen with the in group. And hospitality, as much as I understand, is is, is what's super necessary for the, for the exact reason um, that you just said, which is that um, there will always be outgroups. And so now the question is, what is the ethic by which we engage with outgroups um, and, and have, um, and, and so, so, you, so you may say, well, the ethic is, say, say maybe by, by legislation we need, or by, by rule of law, we need to ensure tolerance. There is the baseline. But then what that, that tolerance is, is is sitting on the bus next to a person and not punching them in the face. Um, that's that's bottom mm-hmm. line. Mm-hmm. Now what now what's the next step? Without what is the ethic by which you engage with someone who is other 
that is um, uh, at, even while maintaining their, their otherness and, and saying, but how are we going to engage with this person in, in a way that is um, more elevated than mere tolerance? Mm-hmm. I don't know. That's, that's, that's what came to mind. Mm-hmm. That was really great. Love your neighbor as yourself. It's, it's very simple. It's not complicated. It's extremely hard. So, you know, I mean, it, it's. It, I think it really boils down to that. That's that's in a nutshell, hospitality. Yeah, but well, yeah, I would say that um, you would have to have the both commandments there for it to work fully, mm-hmm. because uh, people love the golden rule. Sure. But they don't like the first commandment that is attached to it. Yeah, no. Love your God with all your mind, heart, and soul. Yeah, and I think that I think that's necessary because it 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 shows us our our place and that we are just as needy as our neighbor. Mm -hmm. We're just as vulnerable and and uh, as our as our neighbor. So so yeah, I, I would agree with you that provides the whole context. If you just look at love your neighbor as yourself, then it can mean anything if you don't have the, the first commandment. Yeah. If you hate yourself, then you can hate your neighbor. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you can go... I mean, I think that the, the base for Western society, probably the base is do what thou wilt and harm no one else. You know, that's kind of... But I think that... What's that? Alistair Crowley. Yeah. Golden Dawn. Yeah, but it goes... But love thy neighbor as thyself, it goes a step further. Um, in fact, I think that it was C.S. Lewis who said that it was a Hindu saying that said, um, don't do unto others what you would not want done to you. Uh, but Jesus takes that even further. Do to others what you would like them, you know, what you would have them do to you. Uh, I mean, that's a pretty radical notion. It goes beyond just tolerance. Mm-hmm. It, it, it moves it toward the area of love, the ethic of love. Mm-hmm. Yeah? Um, the... It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a good rule, uh, but it only works if the person doesn't hate himself. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, <clears throat> I don't think that, you know, when Jesus commands that, he's not saying only love those if you love yourself. Uh, the Christian practice is always, uh, you are to love as you have been loved. It doesn't matter what you think of yourself, yeah. but what, ha- what, what God has said. And what God has done, and then act out of that, um, and so that's why I don't think that it worked. This golden rule works so well without that first one, mm-hmm. um, and and if that one hasn't informed the love of thyself, like it's, uh, I don't think that Jesus is saying you know, if you like cookies, give cookies to other people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I, I think it goes beyond that, but you're right. If there is um, a deep self hatred, then it people do get very stuck there. But a person who, let's say, has depressive bouts and those types of things does not have to be stuck there. And, and I mean, it doesn't mean that they can't, I'm not talking about moving out of their depression, but I'm saying that uh, there's still ways of acts of hospitality that can even come from that, or acts of love that can even come from that. Um, uh, but yeah, I mean, ultimately what Jesus is, is telling these disciples is what the what the, the rule of law is the, the 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 mosaic law not just common law but you're right this is um, 
and, 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 this, and the follow-up I would say is, is that was the extreme example, which is, you know, if you hate yourself, blah, blah, blah. But um, if, I think different people have, if you were to take it too literally, um, different people have different needs, right? So, so you know, some, someone like me, I mean, if you came at me and said, you're wrong for reason A, B, C, and D, I went, oh, really? Let's talk about this on the merits. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, um, but if, if, if you went up to a different person, mm. and, and that's what I would want, uh, if, I, if I'm wrong on the merits, then, then please correct me. Mm. Um, but if, if I came in and said, you're wrong for reason A, B, C, and D, and they would and go, like, excuse me, screw you. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, sounds like my fights with Julia. So, <laughs> I'm like, one, two, <laughs> you know? and I probably deserve it, you know. <laughs> uh, you know. Um, yeah, I, I mean, hospitality that, you know, yeah, I don't. Sorry, I mean, you're talking about that. No, no, it's good. I, I just think that. In our, because I was talking about true truth, how discussions of truth really inform how we do Labrie. Um, we work very hard at bending the knee or, or bending ourselves to another. You know, I, I love that expression that Jesus did not even bruise a reed. You know, he was very solid. You know, Jesus was so solid. At times, he was like, "You're whitewashed tombs," and at other times, it's like, "I'll walk the extra mile with you." You know, or would weep. Uh, and so he always had this appropriate posture toward the other. Uh, I think that that, yeah, I mean, he's in, he's demonstrating the rule of the law. What was the basis, do you think, for that different stance? Would it be the knowing the composure of that person's heart? That, yeah. Yeah. I think that has a lot to do with it, um, the, the truth of the person's heart. And I do believe that... Uh, when uh, when we are in Christ, we start to grow to see people's hearts. I think that that is a gift of the Spirit that that God gives um, uh, to the people of God uh, as as being able to see the hearts of people as they continue to submit their hearts to God, as they grow in the knowledge of themselves before God. I think that leads us to help to see other people's hearts as they truly are, rather than just trying to read what they want to present or whatnot. Can I ask a facetious question? <laughs> I don't know, can you? <laughs> so true truth, is that, is that true truth, is that a, as opposed to false truth? Well, the reason he talked, uh, I mean, Schaefer had funny expressions. Yeah. The reason he calls it true truth is because the way that people were using the word truth in the 60s and 70s uh -huh. was to, to refer to relative truth. Right, okay. And when he was like, no, no, I'm not talking about Truth for me and truth for you. Mm. So when someone says true truth, you can't say truth for me, truth for you. Mm. It kind of smacks all that away. Oh, yeah. And so true truth is just like, yeah. So that wasn't as facetious as my question. So <laughs> now I feel badly. No, that's okay. Okay, I asked <laughs> okay. well, uh, thank you all and have a good night. <laughs>